All right, welcome back. Uh, today we're joined by my good friend Arjun, and uh, I'll give him a chance to introduce himself right now. Cool. What's up, guys? Uh, my name is Arjun. I'm currently a student at SMU studying accounting. And uh, so, yeah, I guess today today's topic is kind of a loaded one, but I guess it has a lot of modern kind of, uh, you know, applicability, especially in 2022. But kind of, you know, a lot of lawmakers these days is kind of touting to its constituents that, you know what, I passed 70 bills in, in house. And, uh, you know, because that I passed 75 bills this year, I am a great lawmaker, right? But the, the biggest thing we need to talk about is, so what, right? The biggest thing is, 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 is legislation is aimed at making society better. That's the whole idea of it. There's a whole idea of democracy as, as a concept, but in what area now are we kind of gonna stop the whole idea of numbers and, and start dictating the feasibility of legislation, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think feasibility of legislation is kind of a, a mixed bag in the sense that legislation by its, by its concept is, is simply a compromise, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, George Washington really told us to not keep in mind the two-party system, but at the end of the day, that's kind of what we've adopted. Uh, as a libertarian, your party will never get elected. And that's just, it, it is what it is. You know, Ross Perot ran as an independent, did his best, but... If Ross couldn't win, I promise no libertarian will ever win the executive office. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, and Gary Johnson's Aleppo really didn't help the cause either, right? No, so. absolutely, so. absolutely, no. no. But but no, it's the whole idea of the system that we have now is not only the most beautiful thing about America, but it's also the reason why America is inherently, I wouldn't say flawed, but the why we have, I guess, useless and somewhat redundant legislation is the whole idea of federalism, right? And it's that that sharing of rights between the federal and the local government. Um, local governments where we as a, as a private citizen have the more have more of the ability to get our voice heard is in local government. Mm -hmm. But obviously because of, of the constitution, the federal government supersedes anything the local government passes. But that's why you have huge uh, differences in, in the efficacy and to be honest, the way in which legislation works on in all 50 states. What works in California might not work in Florida, yet lawmakers and federal government are trying to do a one-size-fits-all solution, yep. uh, which you know I, I think is the whole worst part. It's like when you fly economy class to like a different country, they give you those horrible socks yeah. that end up hitting like not only the person next to you who's 12, but also Shaq, if he ever yeah. flies economy, have yeah. to wear the same socks. It doesn't necessarily fit. So uh, yeah, I, I honestly think that's, that's the biggest reason. Um, and, and you're really looking at it now, it's, it's the whole idea is, is legislation feasible and is legislation modern enough? Mm. So we're having, you're having laws in Plano. If you spit on someone's lawn in Plano, Texas, they have the legal right to shoot you. Yeah. That law worked very well in 1845 um, in the Wild West, but I don't see its practical solution in 2022. Yeah. No, and I think you bring up great points. First off, there's a big time gap in everything. So in, in essence, everything that we currently have in place that we thought were the norms of like a century or two ago clearly aren't the norms now, but we have such a flawed political system or legislative system. It takes forever to pass something. And the things that are passed are so useless. Exactly. Um, like, for example, I, I think this is something I found fascinating how Nevada has like a requirement, I think a state law, like you must drive above the speed limit at least like five at least the speed limit or five above if you're in the left lane yeah 
Yeah, it is called the fast lane for a reason, right? But that that sounds like common sense policy. Like, why hasn't this been, why isn't this a federal mandate? And again, that brings up like federalism in, in its essence is flawed because ideally the national government would be more unified. But since it's not, we have all these local governments with, for better or worse, a lot of authority. And because they have this much authority and because they have, for example, if you live in Dallas, you live in Collin County, very conservative county. But if you go to Dallas County, that's a very liberal county. And, and exactly. the crazy thing is they border one another, right? So if you just cross like, I guess if you go from Plano to Dallas, it's night and day in terms of like local legislation. Like, yeah, there are certain things in common, but in general, like, you know, some, some places are just like trapped in a certain mentality. And if you look at third party influence, like you were mentioning, it's pretty much impossible to see a third party gaining any traction unless if they inherently run as like a Democrat or Republican, which I find fascinating because honestly, I think Arjun and I, I think we both are on the same page here. Our country is center right to its core. Like I, even Demo- I, even Democrats, like the Democrats who get elected are still capitalist. Yes. So essentially what that means is it's, huh? I think that's a, that's a, that's going to be a, a phenomenon that's that we never going to leave. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's kind of ingrained into our very fabric of society. And also, you know, you're kind of talking about your point about third party electability that you make a, a fantastic point in that sense, especially if we look at it in, in kind of that sense, a lot of people kind of shun away the idea of a third party uh, kind of being there for the whole idea that during an, a presidential election, a third party might split the vote. Exactly. And that's exactly what we saw in Ross Perot. That's exactly why the person that won won is because the, the, the vote was split. And mm-hmm. so that's what we see is libertarians oftentimes leaving very early in a presidential race so that they don't have to split vote with the Republican candidate. Mm-hmm. And, and the same whole idea on the other side with the, with the Green Party or oh, whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, we're looking at that very, very, especially now, you know, I, I grew up in Dallas. I mean, I grew up in Plano and in Frisco, but now I live in Dallas uh, going to SMU. And, and we see a, a massive categorical shift in the way in which people um, not only think but also in the whole idea of political efficacy. And so when you're talking about why the country is center right at its core, I don't necessarily think it's because not everyone, I don't necessarily think it's because everyone thinks like that. I only think it's that because political efficacy, the whole idea that your vote counts only matters for old people. And you look at peer research and look at most research centers, only old people vote. People vote, yeah. Um, And so that's kind of the reason why when you, when you're, and I I think you're a conservative, um, you become more conservative as you age. And that's oh, just yeah. the, well, the more money you make, the more right wing, right wing you tend to be because, oh. yeah, well, it's because it, it, and it makes, it makes sense because you start out hating a system Absolutely. and then you realize, then you realize you can do something with the system. Absolutely. And then you realize that the system works to your advantage. And, you know, I honestly think being an idealist is oftentimes the best oftentimes great if it doesn't cause you any pain oh yeah but, no, exactly you know try to say and, and so you know i don't know if this is kind of the best place to say this joke but it's the old age old age old addict is that uh what do you call a, a, a an affluent immigrant a republican essentially uh, i have never seen I, i've never seen such a such a massive market switch 
Uh, even if you look at, uh, even if you look, maybe Cubans not specifically because of their disgust of socialism, but you look at Asian Americans as a whole and Pacific Islanders, the more they make, the more conservative they be, they become. Well, and um, and so that's just that the whole idea. Fundamentally, right, if we look at it, the people, the Democrats who actually have influence are to their core socially left and economically right. And the conservatives who have influence are socially right and economically right. So the commonality is the economically right. Um, so if you understand that, as in, if you are an idealist, be a bit pragmatic and understand, okay, if I want something to be feasible, it has to work in a capitalist system. Exactly. For example, Bernie Sanders, you were mentioning Green Party earlier. I thought you made a great point. Bernie Sanders, in a way, is like the modern day Green Party. Mm -hmm. See how he never runs on his own as a Green Party or independent, but he's always screwing over the Democrats because he, he's not, <laughs> well, he, he's not always. I mean, Biden did beat Trump, but- I think the Democrats are screwed over Bernie Sanders. Screwed. He definitely screwed over the Democratic Party in 2016. You, you do you honestly? I think it's the opposite of way around. I think the Democratic Party. Screwed well, the Democratic him. Party screws him, but he screws the chance of beating a Republican. Absolutely. So that, that's the problem. The socialist right? is not electable in America, no. especially in Midwest America. No way. It, There's no way. And and people like oh people always like oh you know these these states are flyover states. Yes, with massive amounts of electoral votes. Yeah. So it's, it's not something you can necessarily write off. The coasts are important, don't get me wrong, but now when we're getting into, we're getting to hyper-polarized society, but not necessarily in, in the states, uh, besides Oklahoma. Oklahoma is, is every <laughs> single county in Oklahoma is red, but what we, we, we see a shift in the last 20, 30 years, and, and, and it used to be that states had its own conservative identity. Mm -hmm. But now you're looking down into to nitpicking. You're so looking at cities individual and counties that yeah. are conservative or, or, or blue. So this hyperpolarization in America is actually creating more flip states than before. Oh, yeah. Well, Texas is right now definitely still red. But I think in 10 years, it, it definitely could become a swing state. I don't think the elect. I think in the the, the election, the gerrymandering will definitely ensure that it won't be blue. Absolutely, so, but the except the the twenty twenty four presidential election, you're going to see Texas be more more red than it was last time, and I don't think that's anything to down no, with because a Democrat was in office. I don't necessarily think that. I also think that Texas becoming li almost light blue for a little bit there, but becoming literally, to me, honest, light light red is what red. Texas is right now. Yeah right now pink. and and honestly pink yeah and honestly the reason why it is it is what it is is not because texas became less conservative no. but because of who was running in 2020 um and and that kind of personality might have swayed some conservative voters even within the republican party away from that line yeah, yeah. Um, well bottom line right americans love stability yes so if you if you think of it who is the most stable choice in 2016 you didn't really know who the stable candidate was of Trump or Clinton. Absolutely. And that's why Trump won, because could you say Clinton was as stable as Trump? To I mean, be honest, it was, it was, it was a toss up, right? It was exactly. a toss up. 2020, Biden, Absolutely. clearly more stable than Trump. That's yes. why he won. 2024, yes. genuinely will probably be a toss up election. See, and see, that's Part. the whole idea. See, 2024 is, is going to be... The reason is, is honestly, I don't see Biden being a two-term president, but I don't mm. think Biden sees himself. I don't think Biden wants to be a two-term president. Exactly. Exactly. I don't think Biden sees himself being a two-term president. And so this is honestly kind of a crux between really a huge shifting point in American society is going to come in 2024. You thought 2020 was market and you thought 2016 was insane. 
2024 is going to be a little crazy because parties are really going to start aligning with them with, with their own identity. Yeah. We, we didn't know what the, the, the identity of the Democrats were because Biden was so against what we originally thought the, the ideals mm-hmm. of the Democratic Party was. We thought it was a, a left-wing, socialist, uh, loving, yeah. uh, <laughs> greenhouse gas hating. But it's not. You know, and it's not, it's not because you look at, even look at Jeff, uh, I'm sorry, um, the, the, uh, the, the new, that the, he's, I think it's in North Carolina or South Carolina, uh, Mansham. Mansham, right? maybe. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and, and so he, he is a Democrat, but he conducts himself honestly, like a early 2000s Republican and, 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 and Joe and Manchin, actually, Joe yep. Manchin, I think that's what his name is. Joe Man, Yeah. Uh, and and so th- I'm seeing now that that's how the Democrats are kind of uh, are marketing kind of themselves marketing themselves as. But then you look at the Republican Party, and you have to really put yourself in a position: is the is the is the, is the Republican Party what it was in 2012, which was very Mitt Romney, or was it what you know like John McCain, John McCain, or or even Bush Jr. Or do you see it becoming the party of Trump now with? Trump-esque candidates, like people like Ron DeSantis getting thrown out here yeah. as potential candidates for 2024. And then you're also seeing, you know, clips of, 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 of Mr. Trump on, or former President Trump on uh, Mar-a-Lago, Mar-a-Lago on the seventh pole saying to people, you know, I will run for president if I'm drafted to be, and if mm. people really want me to be. And so you're really seeing a shakeup of, in 2024, we're going to really see what part the, the both parties really finding their true identities and that's kind of going on the original topic of today which is the feasibility of legislation and you know because see democracy is all about compromise mm-hmm. right and compromise for me ensures that everyone is equally unhappy yeah does that make sense well, so, I, yeah well if you if everyone got what they wanted they would be happy right but fundamentally in our political system to be happy or quote unquote happy means you just disregard half of the legislation. Absolutely. And, or and half and of the legislative body. Yes. And especially in politics, to be happy, someone needs to be sad. Yeah. Oh, right. and that, that's an unfortunate reality. Well, that's because that's a two party system, right? Like in George exactly. Washington's farewell address, like you mentioned, he's like, hey, you know, let's uh, try to be a bit more inclusive here. Let's try to have more than two viewpoints. And- exactly. And, and so you look at France right now, and France has a ridiculous system. I think they have 35 political parties and yeah. not many and, and 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 every time they elect a new prime minister you have different parties getting in mm-hmm. and so that keeps leaders accountable in that sense but if for just in the, in the whole idea of the feasibility of legislation right we're, we're looking at it in, in the sense that the hi- most hyper efficient governments are those that don't engage in federalist practices mm-hmm. that engage in a, in a very large federal government yep. right? and then the market and, is the market and the market is the market. And so, so countries like China has been able to experience massive amounts of growth, whilst countries like India, who have who has you know, arguably the same level of potential, mm-hmm. is not necessarily leading to that potential because of the system of governance that they use, which is democracy. No. Uh, and so because of that, you're, you're in a tough situation, right? Where do we practice the democracy. where do we want to practice the feasibility of legislation for the sake of efficiency? Uh, and and draw a line between that and compromising democracy because they both of them essentially are are competing ideologies efficiency and yeah. democracy. 
Yeah, um, no, it's yeah, because the more people that you get, you the more opinions you hear, the less decisive you will be with what you're putting forward, right? You're going to be like, yeah. oh, shit, this guy made a really great point that I didn't think of. I need to go back and regroup. Whereas in, well, and then that's the problem, right? By no means are we saying we got to get rid of our democratic system. What we're saying is there are clearly gaps in our democratic system. And that's what we have to, these are some gaps that we have to fill. Potentially, that means having, in a way, getting away from a federalist system, but that's too ingrained in our constitution. It's so not that, that, just ingrained other... in our constitution, it's ingrained in our very life. Yeah, it's in our way of life, yeah. Um, and, and you have to keep in mind, in, in 1776, at the Philadelphia State House, federalism was the only way to unite all 13 colonies. Yep, because everyone had competing interests. Everyone had competing interests. The South was agricultural. The North seemed a little bit more industrialized. But then you also had massive population centers in the North, like uh, you know, like New York and and um, you know Connecticut, for example, at that time. And so the reason we have a federalist system was to keep the country together, right? Uh, India in 1954, I think, is when they became independent. Don't yeah. don't quote me on that. Um, but when India 19, 1945. No, that was when World War II ended. No, no, my bad. Indian independence. Was it 55? Um, it's, it's around then, though. 52 or 54, 50-something. 50 but I know it was August 20-something. Yeah. I'm, I'm a horrible... Uh, I'm a horrible Indian for that, but, <laughs> but, but the reason why India partitioned was because Muhammad Ali Jinnah, which was the first pres prime minister of Pakistan, wanted a federalist system because mm -hmm. he believed that the Muslim minority would not have a voice in power, uh, a voice in government, if it was a large federal system. And, uh, and, 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 and Nehru, which was the first prime minister of India, said that uh, at the end of the day, we are a country that wanted a large federal government with uh, a socialist system. And so that essentially led to the partition of India. Mm -hmm. If you looked in 1776, if we did not adopt a federalist system, we would have also, I guess, partitioned. Two, two separate nations. Or two separate nations. Exactly. Well, it's, it's, like, it's like the Confederacy, right? Like if you look at the Confederacy... Yeah. In, in its core, we still see people around Texas, like in downtown McKinney, I was over for spring break, downtown McKinney, there was a guy with the Confederate flag just sitting outside the courthouse. Absolutely. And it, it's like, that is something that it is, it's unfortunate that that is that present, it's still mm -hmm. present, but it is something we have to learn to deal with. Yes. And absolutely. I think that's what Arjun and I are really getting at here is like, look, we have a lot of things that are really shitty, but mm -hmm. do we, instead of complaining, why don't we try to deal with them first? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and sometimes, you know, we often look to the federal government and even local governments as a means of saying, you know, we are in the position we are because of them. And oh, yeah. you know, JFK kind of added a little bit of spice in that whole idea of thinking that very much uh, our, our way of living and, and the system in America is, is really about liberty and freedom. And mm -hmm. what we choose to do with that liberty and freedom is up to us. And so not necessarily the feasibility of legislation, but the whole, the whole idea that young people have to have the idea of, fed, uh, of, of, of um, political efficacy. If young people don't vote, our voices are not heard. And when our voices are not heard, what do young people do? We protest. And for me, that makes no sense. How can we protest about a situation in which we had no say of the person that actually enacted the legislation? <laughs> Yeah. And so all these guys that are going out and protesting never voted. They never, never voted. voted. And, and the thing is, some of them, okay, here's the thing, right? If you voted and you lost, 
or like your guy didn't get elected or your 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 candidate your lady whoever you voted for didn't get elected okay yes. well rightfully so protest right peacefully by all means but then there are people who don't vote and that that's a whole another topic but that's you know that's that's something that we really just we have no bottom line when you have a system like ours that prioritizes freedom yes if freedom is the core of our country then these systems that are supposed to protect our freedom they're not truly protecting our freedom instead they're creating a sense of division and that's not like our national government it's like the gap between okay the texas state government and dc for example mm -hmm. that gap is insurmountable right now and yeah. that's because legislation wow. that's passed in texas won't necessarily pass on a nation nationwide state Absolutely. You even look at uh, Governor Abbott and last week said that, you know, the migrant crisis right now on the border is so horrible that he is actually considering spending massive amounts of state money to charter buses to bring <laughs> to bring illegal immigrants from the southern border directly to Washington, D.C., uh, which I think, you know, I don't even know. That, that, that's that. just so, I thought yeah. maybe people in the in, in the state congressional office in, in yeah. Texas is uh, com comedians out here, but uh, he's so out there, man. Oh it's funny. God. It's funny. It, you yeah. have to. Yeah. It's, it's probably someone said that in a board meeting as a joke, and I think he embraced it. Yeah. I think he read with it, but yeah. I think I think it's I think it's really funny. But even going back to the whole idea of what you were talking about, you made a great point. If the entire value system of America is is putting freedom on a pedestal, the whole idea that freedom is our core component, then efficiency has to be let go. If you look at Chinese society or even Japanese society. Efficiency is markedly their number, number one, one priority. priority. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and they let go of freedom as a result of that priority. So because we choose something, we have to let go of something. something and feasibility else. of legislation and efficiency are the things that we're inherently letting go. Letting go. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and we really look at that in the sense in the last time America adopted some sort of anti federalist stance, uh, states broke away and we had the worst civil war in human yeah. history. In one of the worst civil wars. One of the worst, yeah, yeah. And and I don't, you know, I say this with a grain of salt because I do believe Abraham Lincoln was handed an impossible situation. But for example, the Emancipation Proclamation, as amazing of a document as it was, an amazing, uh, uh, you know, document of civil liberties, was unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because it adopted a, a very intense anti-federalist stance and got rid of most ideas and most bastions of of, of states' rights. The last time we adopted an anti-federalist stance, we got the Civil War. And so because America by design and our way of interpreting America by design is so federalist uh, in the sense that states balance power between national and local governments, right? That is the reason why legislation as a concept can never be fully thought of as a feasible sense but mostly as a compromise sense does that make sense no that, that makes a lot of sense right so it basically what we have is an inherently we have a system of compromise not on happiness like you can be happy with your own personal life sure. but your happiness cannot if you want to truly be happy in our country your happiness can't be tied to our political system I don't. I don't think to be truly happy in any political system. In any political you're system. Happy, I mean, happy you can't. You should never tie your happiness to the political system. No, but no. You you saw in 2016. You see. You see these people violently, violently weeping and crying like hysteria, and 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 you see that on the left. And then in 2020, you see on the right again 
violent violently yes yeah. oh, exactly sadness yep. and, and look we have a system of checks and balances honestly i can say you know maybe it's because i drive an electric car but maybe i personally think my life hasn't been so negatively impacted because joe biden is in office and i can honestly say that from 2016 to 2020 my my life my day-to-day life was so immediately impacted by it, what was going on in it, Washington. With with Trump, I think the more the stigma with Trump was like what he said, the rhetoric he used. Yes. That is, if he Absolutely. changed his rhetoric, Absolutely. I think people. I, he just, I, in my opinion, if you're non, if you're not really, I guess if you're non-white and you hear that, like some of the things he was saying. Yeah. Absolutely. That clearly will de- deter you from like voting for that guy, and rightfully Absolutely. so, because what he said was out of pocket. Hundred percent. Biden, for example, inflation is a pain in the ass right now, right? Everyone's oh, suffering in a way from it, but horrible. it's like that is something we have to look at. Like, for example, Bill Clinton won his election because he was all about like it's the economy, stupid. Because George W. George H. W. Bush, the first Bush, he was phenomenal with international affairs best diplomat we've arguably had and as a president since maybe nixon and jfk because nixon was great at diplomacy same with jfk nixon was great i wouldn't even say jfk was a a, look jfk well he was good domestically never mind jfk was more of a figurehead he was an icon if jfk was not shot and this is a horribly unpopular opinion but if jfk was not shot he would go down as one of the worst presidents of all time and just looking at the bay of pigs invasion honestly today we look at that as, as just a national embarrassment. That was yeah. ridiculous. Well, it's ridiculous. like our whole war on terror. Like we, we yes. thought that there was Absolutely. terrorists in Iraq, but there was no actual direct threat from Absolutely. Iraq. You know? Absolutely yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, or maybe even you look at FDR. I think FDR's uh, ability to um, to really get a lot of the nations, not only throughout the Great Depression, but even even World War Two. You know, yeah, FDR so. was a good president. I mean, it, well, he was—he was well, not well. He—he he wasn't okay. Not a good president, but he knew how to unify. He knew how to unify, and again, he again, handed an impossible task. Yeah, impossible task. You know, I—I'm—I you know, don't know. Maybe you can't really tell at this point, but as as a conservative, as a Texan, you know, grow, growing up in in Texas. Uh, you know, Obama was kind of not really President Barack Obama was not really viewed in a very positive light. But even I can say. Barack Obama was handed an impossible situation. Impossible, an impossible situation, and uh, and kind of navigating ourselves through that whole crisis. Um, you know, you, we can all sit here. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and we can all say, "Oh, he he did horrible things, and he was a horrible president, and he and he bombed all of Yemen, and everyone died." And great, horrible, but. At that time, you know, you're looking at all these union workers. You're looking at the big three all filing bankruptcy, mm-hmm. the lack of existing Great recession, yeah. American auto market, just gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the decisions he made were not necessarily out of want, but out of necessity. And so again, it's the whole idea of compromise. Um, like why know, would a democratic president bail out banks? I mean, exactly. fundamentally, well, actually, okay. Exactly. Actually, democratic presidents do have a history of bailing out banks. Any president. You, look at it, you even look at go as yeah. far as FDR. FDR's yeah, any out. president would bail out the banks, right? But that like, in twenty in the twenty first century, it's like why the why the hell is, is it if you're like a I think leftist and democrat are two different things too, personally. Like I think that's a clear distinction. Absolutely. I think Democrats are clearly moderate, more so than a leftist. Yes. yes. So and and I think leftists, in my opinion, I think leftists like people who are leftists are more outspoken than Democrats, so they cloud the image of the Democratic Party Absolutely. because Barack Obama was not a leftist by any means. 
Yes. He was a Democrat. So he did what he thought was best given our system in place. Absolutely. He didn't want to, he didn't want to change our system. Yes. Like he did from a social standpoint, which is what Democrats are about. But from an economic standpoint, he was not going to be like, fuck the banks. Like, he, you know, that, that's not absolutely that's not what he was going to do. Yeah. Well, and so you have to also keep in mind that when you know, <laughs> this is a very out of pocket, I honestly think that the Democrats are actually not even Democrats, but all people that are elected listen to those that got them elected. Oh, whether yeah. that might be constituents yeah. or whether that might be the, the but if you look at honestly who really funded Hillary Clinton's campaign, it was Wall Street. Yeah, and rightfully so. Doesn't she have and, Goldman Sachs and Lehman Brothers like history yes. with both of them? Yeah. Huge, yes, Bear Stearns, every man, all of them. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, but then, then you look at then you look at, at at President Trump and and the people that really got him to office was yeah. oil companies. Um, and so, you know, you look at both of those senses and, and you really see who gets elected, then you can really see that the different, how the different policies make sense. Fundamentally, if you want, if you really want to have a sphere of influence in American society, you have to have some form of cash. Yes. Oh, so no, if you don't, and, it, and if you, and, it, and again, and again, there are people, there are people our age in particular who think that, who just overlook that aspect and are like, I just want to make change. And it's like, that's awesome. But like, sure. let's understand how you can actually make the change first before just making change. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of these people are posting stuff on their Instagram stories, and uh, the same three hundred people are taking that and forwarding it. And then you've seen. Remember, I, I remember especially during many times during twenty twenty two, I would see the same image. Yeah. On forty people's Instagram stories. Yeah, and it well, here's the thing, right? Spreading awareness is great, and I think that. And again, if they were just doing that to spread awareness, that's awesome. But if they were doing it to actually enact change, then that's so flawed because social media. Yes. I mean, that that yeah. That, well, yeah. so it's not necessarily just that. You know, you're you're looking at social media companies for the first time in U.S. history. Um, Social media companies, in my opinion, are more powerful than the federal government. And and and, and the reason well, I because say everyone that, can yeah exactly. And the reason I say that is, you know, back in the day, I remember when you know peak World War II, FDR would come on the radio and and talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fireside the, chats. Fireside yeah. chats, right? And you talk to the American people, and that would be the way in which American people unified and and really got their information. Mm -hmm. Today we're looking at uh, the the white the, the who's the, the speaker not the speaker the person, uh no not, not not the speaker of the house the, the person the person that kind of reads the news to the media at the White House I think her name is Pat. press secretary Jen press Pas Paskey I think yeah so the press secretary back in the day used to be a very very um, prestigious position and now today it's become a meme. Honestly, oh, I, I mean, you want to be chief of staff if you're going cabinet. You don't want to exactly, be exactly. You don't want to be anywhere near the reporters. Never, never. And, and the reason I'm saying that is that it, no one cares what the president says anymore. Uh, they care if the president says something bad because it's a news cycle, but they don't yeah. care about what the really the really what the president says, because at the end of the day, social media is the one that's propagating what information we see in the morning. Yeah. When we when I wake up in the morning, I watch my news on Snapchat, which I understand might not be the best thing to do, but it's a habit that many people in our generation have formed. Yeah, well, um, and here's the thing, right? What you're saying with Snapchat, like you can find credible news sources on any platform too. True. Because there's true. like, yeah. So, it, and that, uh, that, that's, that oh, that's oh, on not any, not every platform, but like, for example, I think something, I, I subscribe to the Morning Brew. 
I love the morning, bro. Yeah, I so it's a great morning. it's a great newsletter, right? So I think if people just took like that extra second of time or extra couple minutes of their day to like, okay, what's happening in the world today? So what I say actually makes sense. Yes. Because the funniest thing ever, I think for this ties back to feasibility again. Yes. It's not not from the standpoint of efficiency, but the people who make the most feasible points are just speaking common sense. And come, yeah. no, I'm seriously, that's yeah, the truth. The, that's true. the truth. The most efficient people are the ones who just, okay, this is what's happening. Here's how we fix it. It's yeah. very, it's a two-step process. And a lot of people jump the, here's how we fix it step. And they just, they're just stuck with what's happening. And they're like, oh my God, what's going on? And it's like, okay, freaking out is fine. But like, let's actually know how to fix this. Oh, wait, we do. If we just take I a totally, step back and look. I totally agree. And, and kind of adding to that point, nowadays people are more tied up with, the rhetoric of the legislation rather than the legislation itself. Oh, when yeah. Donald Trump on the 2016 stage uh, was saying that NAFTA was a horrible system, that we need to get rid of it, common sense legislation. NAFTA has been bleeding American factories and manufacturing jobs for years, and it was time to get rid of it. It was 100% time, time to get rid of NAFTA, I apologize. But the problem was, is the way in which he wrapped up this whole idea of NAFTA was not an, uh, not to boost manufacturing. No, no, it was just, but it was, was, but, but it was to get rid of the Mexicans. Like we don't like yeah, them. And now the Mexicans are, 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 are bleeding us dry. And now that common sense legislation was now wrapped up in semi-racist ideology that MSNBC then took and ran with. And, and, right, now, and rightfully so, because that Trump gave them a bone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so now I'm sitting here, right, as a person that's saying I support the repealing and replacement of NAFTA, but now suddenly I'm racist, racist. as yeah, a result of that, right? And so that's the, that's the main reason why a lot of conservative, a lot of Republicans are essentially upset at, at, at President Trump, because what he enacted, majority of Republicans liked, a majority of Republicans wanted but a majority of the Republicans could not support yeah. because of the rhetoric that was tied up with yeah. it. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I, I mean. And, and you, you look at you know, these videos of, of, of people on YouTube reading policies to people, but saying Obama did those policies. And suddenly these people are like, oh, that makes sense. That's a great policy. I would have voted for him. But then as soon as they say, oh, actually, it was Donald Trump that said that. Suddenly, oh, now it's racist, it's horrible, it's bad. And you have to say it. You know, and, President and, Trump did it to himself, of No, course. he did. He definitely, it's all self. It it's himself. Bottom um, line, right? Your reputation leads to your credibility. And yes, it's sad. Uh, it, you, you should just be credible based on stating objective facts. But if you have a, if you have a stigma about you or you yeah. create this image of being a racist, regardless of what you say, people are going to be like, oh, fuck, Trump said it? Oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to. Exactly. Even if it's the right thing, like again, this Absolutely. is this is a two way street, right? Absolutely. Bernie street. Sanders could say things that make a lot of sense, but nobody's oh, gonna be like, no oh yeah, fuck yeah, let's implement something Bernie said because just has a stigma of being someone who wants to overthrow a system that, in a way, is not really worth. It's again, like we talked about earlier, it's not worth overthrowing the system. It's more about retooling. Absolutely. Right? retooling is the is the greatest sense because redoing the system last time we tried to redo the system we had a civil war yeah no, so no. we we know as we know that's not something we could do right mm -hmm. but the, the thing is is that the way in which society works how we are ingrained has not caught up to our ability to enact legislation and what i mean by that 
is that when people are making huge decisions in the District of Columbia that have massive implications to the people in Billings, Montana, you oftentimes see a disconnect. And that's where the feasibility of legislation comes in, right? Like, where does it stop? Where does it end? And honestly, you know, there are many states, and, and this is kind of what I'm, what I'm talking about, right? Um, what kind of gets me upset is when people online start really hating on state legislation, right? Yeah. Uh, and someone from California, like, oh my God, Texas just enacted this new bill that's horrible and crazy and disgusting and we must stop it at all. Everyone Texas must stop it. the same thing about California, right? And Texas says the same thing about California that, oh my God, they just renewed, they just made this horrible policy. And, and so for me, I'm saying like, why do you care? Oh yeah. No, Why I, do you care? Because okay. the people of Texas voted that person in. If they don't like their policies, that person okay. won't get reelected. You know what? I think we just you just you just planted this seed for me from an epiphany standpoint. Like, okay, let's look at it from a standpoint of being very be very insular, right? If you look at yourself and your immediate your immediate nuclear group of people or your immediate surroundings, yes, and then go from there, in by effect you're gonna have more efficient and more feasible solutions and you're not gonna actually worry about things that don't affect you or impact you absolutely right so and that and that's exactly what you were saying right the texan should just be worried about texas not worried about california yes um and 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 so yeah absolutely agree. and that's just for the whole idea of the human condition and the yeah. way we work as humans when we are in a group project right um do we do the project as a class or do we break out into smaller groups groups yeah exactly right? And so efficiency comes when people are allowed to create compromise. But when compromise is enacted for a population of over 340 million, um, it, there's no place for efficiency. For better or worse, you have to start from, from the ground and build your way up. It's not a top-bottom system or top-down system. It's a bottom-up, yes. right? Yes. So if, if, we, if we stop thinking about everything from a top-down standpoint and more from a bottom-up standpoint, more grassroots, little shout out there for what we've been a part of but, <laughs> yes, sir. right so yeah just have like more of a grassroots outlook yep yeah i totally agree well it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you raj paul i think we made a lot of interesting points about not only how we work as humans but who we are as americans and our essential inability to adopt a system of efficiency because of our need for compromise and our love for freedom Oh, exactly. Yep. And, uh, you know, thank you so much, Arjun, for joining because we had, I think we, we pretty much covered everything. And I feel like if, you, if you, a couple, like the biggest takeaway that we can both, we can both take away from this, right? Political feasibility, something that you definitely have to sacrifice if you want freedom. However, it is something that can be attained if you focus on what's around you first. Absolutely. Right. So thank you so much again, bro. And uh, definitely talk soon. Fantastic.